They both stopped like I'd sworn at them. Sylvia couldn't meet my eyes. I'd acted in such a bad-mannered, bad-tempered way that they were embarrassed for me. My face was hot. Well, Sylvia said, of course, if that's what you want. She looked over my head at Ralph and a message seemed to flicker between them. I'll go with you, Ralph said from behind. No, I said, I want to go on my own. I knew the strength had ebbed out of my voice. My words sounded weak even to me. I'll have to come, Ralph said. The keys are hidden by the woodshed. You'll need me to show you where they are. He'd won the first set, but at least I'd got it to a tiebreaker. In spite of that, I felt like a little child as I followed him meekly down the hill. It was nearly six o'clock and not much daylight left. We crossed a stone bridge over a small dam. Above me was a wisteria, just bare brown branches now. To my right, a blackberry snaked along the bridge, looking for another patch of soft, accommodating soil where it could put down roots. To the left, the water was black with mud or decayed leaves. I wasn't sure which. A single white muscovy duck sat on a log, looking at me with friendly interest. I hoped it was friendly anyway. I felt like nothing here could be taken on trust. We turned right and walked down the slope under the avenue of elms to the homestead. Although no one had painted it in a long time, the white was strong enough to stand out. Apart from the white walls and green roof, it was just like the photograph, the one that had sat on my dressing table all these years. But with Ralph right beside me, I couldn't feel anything. No, that's not true. I felt a lot. But I couldn't show a hint of it to him. And because I couldn't trust myself to hide it, I couldn't let myself feel it. I set my mouth in a hard line and waited as he scrabbled among the firewood before pulling out a bunch of old keys. "'Here we go,' he said. Because Ralph had been so friendly at the station, I didn't say what I wanted to. Get out. I have to do this on my own. The best I could manage was, I'll be okay on my own. But he ignored that. I'm not sure if he heard it even. I felt a little sick as we approached the house. The main door into the homestead is kind of the back door, because it gives the easiest access to the wood boxes and the laundry, the sheds and the paddocks. The official front door opens onto a nice wide veranda, but it's a steep walk up the hill to get to it. There's a white gravel path and a set of steps if you're coming that way. We stepped onto the back veranda. There were pools of water all the way along, and I nearly put my foot through a rotting floorboard. Ralph was sorting through the keys and didn't seem to notice. "'How long since anyone lived here?' I asked him. He gave me a startled glance. "'No one since you,' he said. He seemed so surprised I didn't know that. I was angry I didn't know it. Didn't know nearly enough. That's the trouble with stuff that happens when you're little. People assume you know it, but most of the time you don't. I was glad no one had lived here, though. I didn't want it desecrated. Better to have it fall down than that. And falling down seemed like quite a possibility. As Ralph fumbled to find a key that would fit the lock, I had time to look around. It was no wonder there were pools of water along the veranda, because half the weatherboards above me were sagging and strands of ivy were growing through a few. The paint on the wall had blistered and peeled away. I felt cold. I pushed my hands up my jumper and hunched my shoulders, trying to stop whatever warmth was in me from leaving my body. Ralph got the door open and went in. I guess I was in the mood to be aggravated, and nothing that day aggravated me as much as Ralph going in ahead of me. My house, my home, and Ralph went first. Maybe it was good in one way, because it gave me the courage and determination to do what I wanted to do. I followed him in, still hugging myself. 
It didn't smell too bad, that was one good thing. It was musty, but I'd been preparing myself for worse, so I didn't mind it much. The carpet looked okay, and the place seemed dry. Ralph was standing in the middle of the first room, looking at me to see how I'd react. I made my face even stonier and ignored him. The room was narrow, but ran the width of the house. It had no furniture. This was the sunroom, Ralph said. Your father added this back section. They used it as a breakfast room, I think. I nodded. I had only a vague memory of it. I walked past Ralph and on into the next room. This was the kitchen, and as soon as I came through the door I got a rush of images so fast that they spilled over each other. It was like a train wreck in my mind. I stood there confused. I wanted to grab at each memory so as not to lose it, but I was worried that as I grabbed at one the next would rush past and be gone. I felt like the monkey with his paw in the jar, so greedy to seize a handful of peanuts that he can't get his arm out and is caught by the hunters who have left the jar as a trap. In my handful of memories was the whooshing noise of a fire in the chimney and a smell of popcorn and my mother, or someone, making me fairy bread with a face of chocolate bits. I remembered getting in trouble for trying to eat a firelighter and burning myself when I tipped over a coffee mug and watching a mouse writhing in a trap and feeling distressed to see it. Flavours, smells, colours, cold food and hot food, meals and snacks and drinks. My mind wasn't so much like a handful of memories as a smorgasbord. I hardly noticed that the kitchen, like the sunroom, was bare and empty. There was a fuel stove and a gas range, but nothing else. I walked from room to room, Ralph tagging behind. The sitting room and dining room jogged nothing in my memory, but when we got to the bedroom, something started to happen. In the main one, I had a vivid image of a big old bed, oak, I think, and a lot of big, heavy furniture that all matched, and a soft, soft eider-down with a cover of purple flowers. I turned to Ralph. What's happened to the furniture? He looked uncomfortable. Oh... Well, you know how it is. It gradually went piece by piece. Borer, for instance. Then water got through the roof in a few places, wrecked some bits. I didn't say anything. Just went on into the small bedroom in the right-hand corner of the homestead. I knew where I was now. The light blue walls still had the feeling of a spring sky, even if they were faded and worn. My bed had been in the middle with a view of the palm tree out the front window and the hedge with little red flowers to the right. There'd been a chest of drawers in the corner between the two windows, and against the wall a wardrobe that backed onto the corridor. My teddies and dolls and soft toys had lived on top of the chest of drawers. The dolls that didn't fit into the bed, anyway. I glanced at the wall behind me, the corner beside the door. My heart gave a little jump like it had sneezed. In a plain old gold frame was a picture of a dark hill and a crescent moon viewed as if through an open window. Under the picture was a poem that I knew by heart. Sweet be thy sleep, my guest. Peace come to thee and rest. Throughout all the quiet night and with the morning light, awake thee and rise refreshed. Funny, as the words echoed through my mind, it was not my own voice I was hearing. Someone was reading the words to me. Who? I wondered. It was a woman's voice, soft and calm. My mother's? That I didn't know, and would never know. We went through the front door and stood on the veranda. Away to the west, the sun was dropping like a rock, a fiery volcanic rock. Ralph cleared his throat. Well, time we were getting back, he said in a low voice. Suddenly I knew I could never sleep in their house the way they'd arranged. 
Astonished at the words I heard coming from my mouth, I said, I'm going to sleep here tonight. Chapter 2 Tea with Ralph and Sylvia was sulky and unpleasant. I felt sorry for Sylvia in one way, because she'd gone to a lot of trouble to make a special meal. Pumpkin and chilli soup, lamb cutlets on rice, with a potato and turnip mixture in a baking dish. The potato and turnip didn't really seem to go with the lamb and rice, but what would I know? I'm no food expert. I got through most of my soup because, face it, no matter how bad you feel, you can usually pour soup down your throat. Plus, I quite like stuff with chilli. I ate the rice and about two mouthfuls of lamb. I mean, I'm not a full-on vegetarian, but I don't eat much meat, and only then if I'm in the mood. I hate turnips. I might have got away with just that little amount, but Sylvia produced a raspberry cheesecake and I knew my stomach would revolt if I tried to shove that down. So I said no, as politely as I could, and Sylvia pushed back her chair, threw down her spoon and stormed into the kitchen. I sat there feeling awful. My face was as hot as a fuel stove, and I knew my bottom lip had the shakes, and if I tried to say anything, the tears quivering in my eyes would break free and run down my cheeks. I couldn't take any more. The argument when I said I wanted to sleep in the homestead had taken too much out of me. When you're a teenager, if you want something badly enough and you're prepared to go to any lengths to get it, you can pretty much always win. I'd learned that with the Robinsons, and I'd learned it at school. The tantrums I'd chucked with the Robinsons were full on, like Hell's Angels meets the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, like a rugby league grand final. I was embarrassed when I thought about them, ashamed even, but in the end I got what I wanted. I was back here, back home, on my own, and I was out of school. I'd thought that once I got here it would be all perfect. My problems would be over. No such luck. There I was. At